two different scriptures this morning. The first comes from Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. excited to be with you all today, and it was a little iffy because, as uh, things would have it, a really good friend of mine, a, a family friend, passed away recently, and his memorial service was done in San Francisco yesterday. So I flew home this morning, and I've already been back and forth to my car twice because there were things I needed. So I brought my backpack on up in case there's something else that I forgot, because when you get up at 3.30, things can be iffy. So... God has provided that I am here, and I am trusting that in some way, this story that has happened to me the past week, where a mentor of mine um, was celebrated yesterday, is part of the story that God wants for us to kind of engage with today. Because today, we're looking at what it means to be a human being created in the image of God. So we're looking at this idea of imago Dei, like how God's creation of humanity and how we're part of that and what we're called into. So it's thrilling that we have a whiteboard because I love whiteboards and that's going to help us through. Um, we are following this pattern. Uh, oh my goodness, I've got a blue marker and a red marker. Um, from creation to disruption and then hope and we all kind of wonder what's going on with that to culmination. So we're going to use this structure um, to understand what God is designed for humanity and for each one of us. So let's join our hearts in prayer. Mighty God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that it is a day for us to come to know you more deeply, for us to worship together, for us to celebrate Bethany's 100th birthday. Lord God, we thank you for those who have gone before us, who have followed you and have in some way represented Christ to us, um, living into this image of God, not only in their nature, but in their character, taking on the character of Christ. So we pray that we would learn to live in this reality, that we are identified with the Son of God, the person of Jesus, Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. So I believe in a grand designer. I believe that God is the creator of all things. Scientists believe that they have proven that at one time, about 14 billion years ago, our entire universe was contained within the volume about the size of a golf ball. Does that blow your mind? It does for me. 
The famous phys physicist from Cambridge, Stephen Hawking, even Stephen Hawking, acknowledges that from that golf ball to the Big Bang, it's inexplainable. How did something happen that physics cannot explain? The Bible has an answer. In the beginning, there was God who created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God called the dry ground land, and the waters he called sea, and God said that it was good. And then creatures in the sea, and now we know even intelligent creatures like dolphins are evidently very smart. They can learn tons of things. Whales are communicating under the water. I recently learned that crows are smart. Who would have guessed? Like, when you, all those Halloween crows around, that's actually a smart being in there. Or have you heard that research shows that trees are actually communicating to each other? It's like the Wizard of Oz, the talking tree, it's not so far off. Trees in their roots send out some sort of signal, like send your roots over here, there's good nurturing soil. Don't send your roots over there. They're somehow communicating with each other. So God created this amazing, complex world, and yet it was not the fullness of creation until he created humanity. Genesis 1 goes on to explain that God created human beings in his own image and blessed them and charged them to fill the earth and be stewards over it. And then when God sat back and looked at all that he had made, he said it was good, the light and the dark was good, and the sea and the dry land was good, and all the creatures were good. But when he looked at humankind, now this wasn't just Adam, it was Adam was alone, that was not so good, needed Eve to make the whole picture complete, somehow because that's the image of God. The Godhead is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So humanity, just being male, was not sufficient. He created the male and female. And he looked then at creation and said, this is very good. This is like the best it could be. I've created beings that are representing me, that have taken on my nature. So if you were to imagine, when you, we say the image of God, what do you think of? We, we don't really have a visual of God the creator, do we? But do we have an idea of the nature of God? What comes to your mind? What three words maybe come to your mind? Thinking, thinking, okay, tell your neighbor, three words, a couple words, try for it, see if you can get three words that you think of when you think of the nature of God. You're looking very blank. <laughs> you can do it. Nature of God. Maybe powerful, maybe creative. Okay, how are you doing? It's big. These are big thoughts. But when we're going to talk about this image of God thing, it's pretty big. So did we come up with something like powerful? Power, no, creative? 
No. Okay, what'd you guys come up with? <laughs> <laughs> loving? Pre lo loving? We got some loving. Okay. Sacrificing? No? Okay. Very curious. What else? Anybody else seriously want to call out? What'd you come up with? Love, holy, just. What was that one? Eternal. What was this one? Merciful. Awesome. So these qualities that we're looking at, I believe are, there's like two elements. We're looking at the nature of God and the character of God. So the first thing that came to me is when we're talking about creation and God creating human beings, there's two important things for us to know about humanity. First, we're created. We were created from something outside of ourselves. We're not creating ourselves. We came into existence because God desired that each one of us would exist. God has this affection for humankind to all exist. No one of us is a mistake. If you might have heard from your parents, like, oh, you're the extra one, or, you know, oh, I was an accident. Um, they were expecting two, they got three. They're expecting three, they got four. That you're supposed to be here. Maybe you're someone who was adopted into your family or who's part of a foster family. You are supposed to be here. God had that in mind when he created you. He designed you. I have an additional scripture that I just gave the booth upstairs. It's from Ephesians 2. For we, each one of us, are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the things that God planned for us to do long ago. That's Ephesians 2. We are God's masterpiece. God's handiwork. If you look up that word, it can be translated God's poem. Workmanship, masterpiece, poem. These are the words that scripture uses to describe you and me. A professor of uh, microbiology at MIT made this analogy that's particularly fit for us. He said, human DNA is like a parts list for a Boeing 747. He pointed out that if you took all the parts of a Boeing 747 in front of you and you laid them out, six million parts, on a baseball field or a football field, and you strongly desired that they would put themselves together and become an airplane that flies, you could think about it, you could pray about it, you could ask for rain, you could sit there and watch it, but in a million years, it's never gonna happen, right? Those parts aren't gonna knit themselves together in some way that becomes a 747. The DNA of one human being is far more complicated than a 747. The number of ways of putting together the data on one DNA strand is one with 84 billion zeros after it. Can you imagine? The only way these six million parts could get up and, and fly or become a human being is if some outside agency put them together. Now, in the case of 
the 747, Boeing did that. A guy named Bill Boeing founded a little aircraft company 100 years ago, the same year as Bethany, and it's been leading uh, in air travel, connecting people around the world since then. In this century, creativity in the Northwest has been fertile. We've shaped the world through Weyerhaeuser, founding the wood products industry, introducing the concept of sustainable forestry. John Nordstrom started a little store that eventually revolutionized the retail industry and many closets here in Seattle. Bill Gates of Microsoft, Jeff Brotman of Costco, Howard Schultz of Starbucks, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, not to mention the hundreds of biotech firms that have improved human health around the world, or playful head coach right now, Pete Carroll, who not only makes football uh, fun for the Seahawks, but somehow has mobilized the whole community to be the 12th man. Glad you guys are here. I hear we're winning. Don't worry. It's probably the most enthusiastic fan base in Northwest history. So these are kind of famous creative people. But God put that kind of creativity into our very nature. And perhaps it's most apparent when we're a child. And today we're gonna to look at a video of a boy who's making a difference. Dear President Obama, remember the boy who was picked up by the ambulance in Syria? Can you please go get him and bring him to our home? Park in the driveway or on the streets, and we'll be waiting for you guys with flags, flowers, and balloons. We will give him a family, and he will be our brother. Catherine, my little sister, will be collecting butterflies and fireflies for him. In my school, I have a friend from Syria, Omar, and I will introduce him to Omar. And play together. We can invite him to birthday parties and he will teach us another language. Since he won't bring toys and doesn't have toys, Catherine will share her big blue stripy white bunny and I will share my bike and I will teach him how to ride it. I will teach I will him teach him addition, addition and subtraction. Don't you love how he's going to share his sister's blue bunny, you know, before he gets to his toys? His sister's going to show the character of God by sharing her bunny. But here we see this creativity of taking on kind of what's right. So I want to make the transition now to thinking of the character of God. Like we're naturally blessed with this nature of God. It's what God intended. And then God further desires that we would actually take on his character. He gave guidelines to Israel as the people of God. Do not kill. Don't take another life. Value all life. Don't take on a neighbor's wife. Don't covet. Be, be honoring in community. Honor your father and mother. Be in relationship with, the, with an intimate circle. He's giving guidance to all of Israel to say, take on my character. So we see that in creation, we're given this, the nature of God as being in the image of God, male and female, made for relationship in community, and then we're to take on the character of God. But what happens? 
We, we can't hold on to it. There's this like seed of eternity that you guys brought out. There's a seed of justice, a seed of mercy in every human being. And God desires that we would maintain that kind of connection with God. But we look to Adam as kind of the first great failure. Uh, maybe Eve, if you want to go further. He says, Adam says, it was Eve who gave me this apple. But what was their mistake? Was their mistake being hungry and wanting to have an apple? No. Their mistake was not believing what God told them about the garden. That everything was there for them, for their benefit. Except if they could just leave this one thing alone. And they couldn't do it. Isn't that like us? You see, we're made with this kind of nature, but we can't maintain it. Uh, we can't go just from this great created nature to, to the next high peak, to the culmination, to glory to glory. We can't keep that eternity uh, as our guiding post. We're, we're going to need something to help us. So if we look at this idea of disruption, what went wrong? It's, it's this first sin. It wasn't just the outward action of eating the apple. It was an inward unbelief. Adam and Eve believed the lies of Genesis 3 and 4 and 5 that, that they wouldn't die, that they would be like God. And the answer is the truth was they would die and they were already like God. They're already made in God's image. So what is it in our lives? What kind of lies do we believe? What kind of names do we tell ourselves? Like one of mine is, I can't preach like Richard. Well, that's true. But I'll have to preach like Kendi, right? right? Yeah, amen. <laughs> Who do you look at? Maybe another student. Jennifer Powers, sixth grade. How did she know all those spelling words? How, we were in algebra together, we were like a grade ahead, and she was getting an A, and I was getting a B, and golly darn, if I didn't keep encountering Jennifer Powers as year after year after year. They were in college, they're in graduate school, they work with me, they're smarter than me. Oh well, you gotta be who you are. You can't believe the lie that you're not good enough, that you don't, you don't compare well, that you're not the right height, you're not the right weight, your eyes are bad. We tell ourselves, uh, or we believe, these things that come from outside of us, and they push us into disruption. And maybe you're not one of those. Maybe you're somebody who says, yeah, I, I'm doing fine, thank you. I, I don't experience that kind of disruption. Well, do you look around in the world experiencing the disruption that we see there's evidence everywhere? We see that people need this connection with God, and we can't get it on our own. We're looking for it. We can't find it. We can't maintain God's character. One of the books that I've really loved on this subject, look, I do have it, it's not hidden in the backpack, is called Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen. And he talks about what happens when we realize that we can't hold on to this godliness. He says there's, that our own brokenness can become a temptation. We forget that God actually picked us. We can decide when we're on this downward journey to be grateful or to be bitter. 
We can decide to recognize our chosenness in the moment, or we can decide to focus on the shadow side. When we persist in looking at the shadow side, we will eventually end up in the dark. So when I'm thinking about this dissolution, it's both personal and global. So I thought of it as personally, have you ever felt like you're sort of tumbling down? I have. When my husband and I uh, were married maybe two years, we thought, let's have kids. And you may have heard me say, or I've uh, shared with many, uh, 12 years later, we adopted our daughter. That was a long 10 years of wanting to have kids. And even this week, as I was preparing this sermon, I was looking at this idea of the nature of God and the intimacy of God. And the analogy was made, you know, the beauty of the intimacy of God with people and the, the nature of God that God designed is like a mother with a child at her breast. And I thought, I never had that. I never got pregnant. I adopted a daughter. Now, if you're an adoptive parent, these things can happen, but not when I did it. It was a tumbling down, and it still hurts. There's still that little spot that, that could take me all the way down here to the pit. When we hear the news, when we hear the losses, when we hear the violence, we can suddenly be plummeted down here. When we're grieving, grief kind of stirs up other grief. Sometimes we kind of come to this level, and we think, oh, okay, this is the bottom, and then, oh, it gets a little worse, and we think it can't get any worse, and then we go tumbling all the way down here. The good news is that this is where Jesus meets his people. Israel as a whole community failed to hold on to this nature of God, the character of God. We as individuals fail to see the hope of God. So God sent a human being who wasn't going to lose this nature. He sent a person who was fully God and fully human at the very same time. It's amazing. It's like God said, you're having a hard time holding on to this image of God, so here, here's somebody who can do it. Here's the person of Jesus, so that when you come tumbling down, what you will find is the cross. You will find the person of Jesus who could hold all the glories of heaven in his hand, but he didn't. He emptied himself and went to the lowest possible place. Why? Because we're created in the image of God, and God wants to redeem us to himself. He wants to make us like himself. But we can't, we can't do it. We can't just take the instructions and say, okay, I won't eat of the tree. We, we get tempted. We, and we find ourselves wanting to take the whole thing into our own hands. So in the person of Jesus, now I'm not going to be able to draw this. It's like a giant safety net, if you will, when you're on the way down. There's a book written by a professor from Whitworth named Jerry Sitzer. Jerry Sitzer was a, is, I think, still a professor of theology, and he and his wife were homeschooling their children. And they had uh, his mother-in-law, his wife, and their three kids in a car. They had been to visit as a homeschool family. They kind of went on a field trip, and on the way back, they got in a terrible head-on collision. And in one accident, Jerry lost his wife, I believe it was her mother, and one child. Two kids, and Jerry survived. 
Can you imagine the grief that occurred in that one moment? And how easy it would be, even I hearing the story, was like, if they would have just stayed five minutes longer, if they would have just pulled over at McDonald's to have dinner, if only, and then why? Why that family? Like, why a professor of theology? Like, why did they have to bear that pain? Why did the whole community have to bear that kind of pain? Like, three generations of, of women wiped out at the same time. Jerry talks about being at the lowest of the low point. And he says, the only way through that grief, the only way is to go into it, to lean right into it and walk right through it, like a tunnel, like a dark, dark tunnel, with the hope of the truth that there is a light at the end of that tunnel. And one day, he's going to get there. Not that he'll ever understand. I mean, there are mysteries in this whole thing that are far beyond my understanding. And, and maybe some of you have answers I don't have. When I am asking God, why? Why am I in this spot? Why are people that I love in this spot? Why do some get healed and some don't? Why do some get pregnant and some don't? Why do some find a spouse? Why do some have a healthy marriage and others don't? Why? I don't know. It's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. But what we do know is this, that Jesus Christ, who was perfectly God and fully human, took on that very limited nature. He himself died a death, not a natural death, a death on a cross, a death that was essentially a murder of a convict for something he'd never done. He did no wrong. Why did he die this death? So that he would be in the pit, in the deepest pit that there could be, where whenever we find ourselves going down, going down into that pit, we can know that God has already been there, that he is right there with us. God does not desire that these horrible things that happen, that even feel like a curse, he did not desire that that is where we would live. He desired that he could redeem that for us, that he could be with us, so with us. God says, when, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's nothing, no circumstance, no error, no shame, no disappointment, no bitterness that is too far to be reached by the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's as deep as deep could be. Have you ever known someone who lived that out well? In college, I had a friend. I, I went to UCLA, and I was in a sorority, and I had a friend. I was in a pretty good sorority. You know, we do that thing like you compare. And I had a friend who was like in the best sorority. I can't really call her a friend. She was really more of an acquaintance. Like I knew her. And she was one of those like perfect people. And she looked great. She was Jennifer Powers all over again. She was super smart. And she had a really cute boyfriend. I think it was athletic. You know, it was just like the perfect. I think she might have even been a, you know, cheerleader, song girl kind of thing. It was, you know, the perfect picture. Well, one day I heard her give a little talk. And she said, I've never had anything go wrong in my life. And I don't know if I could hold on to my faith if I did. So for those of you who've suffered, 
I pray that I will have the courage that you have when it happens to me. And she kind of flipped it around for me. It's like, oh, I've suffered. Hey, you know, it's a good thing. Look, at, I, I've got a stronger faith. It was like, it, it sounded ridiculous to me. Like, no, you don't pray for suffering. But do you not pray to become that person who can carry the character of God no matter what your circumstances? This memorial service that I went to, okay, I can do this. This, but if I cry, you know, we're getting to know each other. I've been here almost a year. You're going to still love me anyway, right? Okay, good answer. Okay. Um, so we are uniquely blessed, and we are uniquely broken. Sometimes we feel rejected and cursed. We believe the lies. So this friend of mine who was the dad of one of my friends growing up, this girlfriend and I went to fifth grade together and kind of grew up together. And this dad was kind of one of those bigger-than-life people. He was an international businessman who worked for a large international consulting firm. And he recruited people from Stanford and Harvard Business Schools. And, like, he was this high-powered guy. And he had two daughters and a son. Well, the first daughter went to Stanford, and then she went to Stanford Law. And the second daughter, the youngest, went to college and then went to Harvard for her master's degree. And in between them was this boy who was always getting into trouble. And what we weren't sure he was going to make it through high school. And then there was an unexpected baby in the life of he and this woman. And then he decided that he would become a painter, like painting houses. And his father, the international businessman, found in himself um, that he needed to make peace with his son wasn't like the guy he wanted him to be. And my parents and these other folks, like they walked through life together, they played bridge. This other couple, the guy who died, was a deeply Christian man. And though we all knew he was disappointed in this son, he kept that relationship together. Even though the son might have cursed him and even though there was great tension between them. So I was at the memorial service yesterday and guess who stood up to speak and honor his dad? The son. The one who felt the most loved was not the one with the great pedigree, not the one with the great resume. The one whose dad went out of his way to say, I care about you. I'm walking with you no matter what happens. Your mom and I are going to be by your side. Why? Because he was taking on the character of Jesus. He was a guy who grew up, the dad, grew up in Kansas, a farm boy, met his wife of now 60 years in ninth grade algebra class. And they were best friends and became uh, engaged right after his first year of college, and, and that's the life that they built uh, together all these years. The foundation that he had is what was proclaimed yesterday. His faith that made a difference, not just in the life of his family, but there were several hundred people there. This guy was in his 80s. There were several hundred people there who stood up and said, this guy was my mentor. And I had this weird feeling. It's like, no, this guy was my mentor. And do you ever feel that way? It's like, well, somehow I felt diminished because he touched all these other people's lives. <laughs> like, what's the deal? That's me. That's, I'm confessing now. You know, not a good character of God. 
This guy, through the challenge that he went through with his son, learned how to love all kinds of people in all kinds of circumstances. It was as if he took on the nature of Jesus, not just enjoying all the benefits of being who he was, you know, in the captain's club and all those fancy things. And those guys were there too. But so were like the little people. And you know what, friends? We are those little people. When we're feeling like, does my life matter? Who, who, who am I to make a difference? Can I take on the nature of God? Can I take on the character of God? Look at Jesus. Jesus shows us the way. His disciples watched him be a human being. He watched him be hungry, thirsty, can't go out camping, talk to people he should, maybe shouldn't have been talking to in their opinion, staying too long in one place, leaving early from another place. They just watched the whole thing unfold. And Jesus proclaimed this, my life is not my own. We see it over and over in the Gospel of John. My life comes from the Father. And then he says, to them and to us, as the Father has sent me, Just as God the Father sent Jesus into the depths, so Jesus is sending us. We're part of this kind of great journey upward. And for me, maybe for you, the journey upward, you know, being merciful, not always easy. That gossip just wants to pop out of your mouth, doesn't it? Being bitter, not uh, much easier than being grateful. You know, I look at my own experience that I was talking about, my my infertility journey. I have two gorgeous kids. One's a college graduate, one's in college, so I didn't get to nurse them. Big deal. You know, am I really going to let that be my story and not the gratitude that God brought me these two amazing children? What is it for you that where are you going to turn this corner and say, it's Christ who lives in me. I have a hope that's far bigger than my circumstances. Whatever it is that's kind of knocking you down, the truth of the matter is you are so loved that God gave his life for you. So turning this corner then, there are no little people. There's no little life. Your your sphere of influence may seem small to you, but who knows what God is doing through you. We're all part of this kind of amazing company of saints. We're going to move now soon to celebrating communion. The word communion, it's like with. The the word company means with bread. We're breaking bread with a great company of saints through all time. Even today, whatever time zone folks are in, today's Worldwide Communion Sunday. All across the globe, there are people who are proclaiming that there is a hope, no matter whether they're starving, no matter whether there's violence, no matter whether they can't feed their children, they don't have a roof over their head, they and we are proclaiming that there is a God who meets us right there. And we're part of what that God is doing. We're part of this culmination that God wants to bring about. It's not up to us to do it for ourselves. It's up to us to lean into Jesus. You will express the character of God when you say, not my will. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. 
Thy will be done, not just mine. Not, not just my, my resume, not just my hopes fulfilled, but God's hopes fulfilled in us. Jesus lives in you. He lives in me. All we have to do is say, yes, I believe. I believe that in this grand design, God put himself, limited himself in the person of Jesus that we might be part of the glory of God. That all who believe in Jesus aren't just living for ourselves. We're living for this, this journey of culmination. We're kind of proclaiming this glory, a glory we didn't earn. I think it's so tempting for us to, to think we, that we, we, we want the glory. Oh, I was going to try to learn how to do the arms. You get the idea. We want the glory. We want to go from creation to culmination. But, but you know, we don't want this part. But it doesn't go that way. You can't write the story that way. You, you gotta go through what life brings because it's in being fully human that we can express the glory of God. So don't imitate Christ. It is Christ himself living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not, yes, I'll be more like Jesus. I will, I will, I will. Put reminders all over in post-it notes. It's believe that God became a human being. You can put your trust in that, in him. In him there is hope that does not disappoint ever, ever, ever. Oh, it can feel dark, but there is a light. So the seed of the resurrected Jesus in us, and he will give birth to unique expressions through you. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's managing people, maybe it's taking care of kids, maybe it's serving your spouse when they're sick. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone away, the new has come. Let's pray. Mighty God, I thank you that you desire that we would be like you that we wouldn't be trying to go life on our own, that we wouldn't just set our own goals and have our own ideas about what glory is, but that we would have a sense that in the person of Jesus is the fullness of God, is the fullness of glory, that the one who could have held on to heaven uh, took a knee and took a cross and was resurrected. So, Lord God, I pray that the power of your resurrection, the truth of your love, would be made known to each one of us, even as we come to the table today. Lord, may your people be filled with the truth of who you are. Amen.